At this time, release the wombats as the most powerful men in Canada discuss top tech. This week, video production. That sounds a lot better than it usually does. Yeah, there's something different about that. Well, I don't sound like a constipated macho man Randy Savage. <laughs> At this time... So, we are the most powerful man in Canada, as you may have noticed. Today, we are without our good friend, Beej. I am Johnny Blakebrow, co-host and producer of Top Tech. With me, as always, is... Ian Horner. Uh, I get to say my own name. That's that's special. <laughs> it is a little weird. And then also, special guest joining us today is Loading Ready Run's video creative director and producer. What sure. You? Yeah. Graham Stark. Hello. I've always felt like I was one of the most powerful men in Canada, but I've never had it provably stated so now ha- you're one of the foremost powerful men in canada <laughs> happy and to be here <laughs> it's on record now thanks for joining us i think i get a framed photo of the queen now <laughs> yep yeah we'll put it right up here in the office right next to your certificate of yeah y- the youth in action award <laughs> which we always joked was the you just put those two words together it's the youth in action award for youths that just sit there that's like that time i actually went to an exchange to japan and i got the youth in asia award <laughs> Wow. You made that up. (laughs) I actually did. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. So today we're going to talk about video production, and we're going to talk about some things that you can do with video production that will take your game up to the next level. Maybe you've shot a cell phone video. Maybe you've shot something on a handy cam, and you're wanting to maybe get a bit better with it. We thought of no better person to talk to us about some more advanced techniques to try and get the best out of video production but a man that's been doing it for god how many years now is this oh geez we're at loading ready run is in its 10th year we started in 2003 in october so no so october this year will be our 10th anniversary you've produced a bare minimum of one video every single week for at least nine years yeah a bare minimum now we're producing like a nigh infinite number of (laughs) of videos and i'm slowly dying on the inside (laughs) So I know lots about how to make the videos go. Especially on a very tight budget and short timelines. Yeah. I mean, for years we worked out of pocket. And then, um, you know, even now that we're actually making money and it's a full-time job for a couple of us, it's not like I have a boat. <laughs> we're not swimming in cash. <laughs> I've had a chance to actually see some of your setup there, and you've got some pretty rad equipment. As I a, think so. Which is a uh, industry term. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was first coined in the 1980s. No, it's super rad. Uh, yes, that was uh, the transition to the high-definition rad that uh, happened in late 90s. But I've seen some of your stuff from before, and you, you started out back where we all started. Mm-hmm. If you want to go like way, way back, like I was shooting stuff with Paul, who I co-founded Loading Ready Run with, on like his dad's Digital 8 Handycam back in whenever the hell that was. Actually, High 8 first. Oh, then, Lord. Then Digital 8. Can you imagine... Digital 8? Yeah, I remember shooting on high 8 because it was such a big step up from 8. You actually had oh, like yeah. 480 full lines of resolution with that stuff. Yeah, it was hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Loading Ready Run started, we were just using a camera that I'd won in a contest. It was a uh, just a Panasonic Handycam. I think it probably ran around $900 at the time. And when you consider that for that price now, you can get the Blackmagic Cinema Pocket Camera that I want <laughs> desperately inside me. <laughs> It was pretty big at the time, but it was nothing even a year or two later. But that's what we started with, using that and onboard audio and no tripod. And uh... mm. Well, that's one of the things you probably learned pretty quick as you're working on this, 
is that better equipment can really help, but how you use the equipment is really way more important. Yeah, it's interesting that whenever someone is asking, you know, like we're just starting out, what sort of stuff should I use? What's important? This is weird, but seriously, the most important part of shooting video is audio. And what I mean by that is you can get away with a lot in terms of video quality if it sounds good. Mm -hmm. Yes. It doesn't matter how good it looks. If it sounds bad, people don't like it. Yeah, and well, a lot of people will often say that something looks cheap, and yeah. it actually looks the exact same, but the real difference is the audio quality. People say something looks amateur or cheap. You bring up a really good point there. I was just thinking about why those old Buster Keaton silent films still stand up today, mm-hmm. and it's because they don't have any sound other than the piano playing to them. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with the piano, but if you look at the difference between, for example, something like Cloverfield and someone's actual shaky <laughs> shaky yes. home movie vacation stuff is that you can hear all the dialogue in that movie amazingly and there's a soundtrack <laughs> but you can hear what all the people are saying you don't hear people like rubbing their finger over the microphone and someone like who's three feet away who sounds like they're 50 feet away just because the mic isn't pointed right at them and you don't hear like the sound of the <laughs> camera itself which was something we struggled with a lot in the early thing because we were using an onboard camera that's oh connected Lord. it's part of the camera and you can hear the tape the motors inside spinning yeah. around if, if it's quiet you hear this <laughs> quietly in the background and it was, it was really bad something you kids today will never have to deal with no because it's all digital now which yeah. is sweet to me, it doesn't really matter what sort of camera you get. I'm trying to think if it is even possible to not get an HD camera at this point. So yeah, I don't think you can you, buy not HD You may cameras. as well get an HD camera since I think that's probably your only option. Mm-hmm. But by God, make sure that it has a mini jack input for an external microphone. The one that we use, we use it for years, is the Rode or Rode. Tony and I were discussing, <laughs> d- discussing last night. I say Rode. It's R-O-D-E. They're an Australian company. The Rode video mic, and it's just a, it's like 120 bucks, and a little mic that you put on top of the camera, and you just plug directly in, and it's so much better. I've got mine sitting right here. I'm banging it against the microphone. It's it's a fantastic piece of equipment. And yeah. if you can't afford that, Monoprice has uh, what well, basically a clone of the second generation of the Rode microphone or Rode microphone. Hmm. which I have yet to test it, but the reviews seem to be quite happy. But Isn't it about 50 or $60? The point is, get your audio off the camera. Yeah. If you can put it on a boom and get the camera closer to the actors, that's even better too. Actually, before we got the Rode microphone, because again, we were working out of pocket. I was going to school. You know, we're a couple of guys in our early 20s, didn't have a lot of disposable income. So we went to uh, Radio Shack, as it was at the time, and we got a Next Tech lapel mic for $20 mm-hmm. and we would mic stuff by just running a lapel mic like up our leg or <laughs> like up our shirts or whatever and trying to obscure it from shot and just getting the mic that much closer to the actors you know it made a huge difference like there was a period of time where we would <laughs> it's like if it was like a waist up shot I'd clip the microphone to my fly <laughs> so that it it was, it was as it close was as possible without being in shot as close as possible without being in shot it's I, so important to get good sound if you can't for some reason have an external microphone which you should always invest even the little amount of money to do at the very least if you have to use camera audio 
get the camera as close to your actors as possible and zoom out. The zoom works for the lens. It doesn't work for the sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's not zooming your microphone closer. So all the distance between you and the subject are, are going to have all that audio picked up along the road. So yeah, as, as Graham said, if you've got an external microphone, get it as close to the people talking as possible and it'll make a huge difference. Yeah. Well, just, just get everything as close to the actors as possible. <laughs> well, unless you're doing catering. All, yeah. <laughs> catering, especially. Yes. Unless you're doing a very, very long shot, in which case. Yes. You know, then you can do what they call a wild call shot. If you need, like, two people at a distance that you can't really even tell, you know, you, maybe you can't really see their mouths, you can just dub that. Yep. But record the sound at the location. And then you like, can replace it afterwards. Record the shot from, like, 30 feet away or whatever of them talking, and then get up close mm-hmm. and record them with the microphone having the same conversation as close as they can because if you try to record it on like a mic like we're using later like in a studio or something it's not going to sound right it'll seem very very eerie and weird i have looked extensively online for ways to fake it to have a mic sound like you recorded it outside and it's very difficult so many variables the wind the birds which brings me to my favorite tip that you ever gave rain which was if you're shooting indoors in your own home unplug your fridge (laughs) <laughs> yes the uh the fridge is a real bastard and you don't notice it until you're listening later and you're like oh because you're used to your fridge your fridge makes noise all the time but boy is it loud well and it'll sometimes have periods of inactivity and you're and working on stuff and yeah and it'll it'll turn on <laughs> here's a funny story so i don't know if you've talked much about vancouver Island short film festival no we haven't really podcast. talked about it before all right so johnny was co-founder of and continues to run a local film festival here and we've had videos in it over the years and we were sitting there watching one and there was a video in it in the festival one year in which there was someone making video over at someone's apartment Mm. and he was like all right got to turn the fridge off to get clean noise and we're all like yep yeah we know that and he's like and i'm gonna put my keys in the fridge (laughs) so that i remember to turn the fridge back on when i leave the house because obviously i can't leave without my keys and the entire row of the loading ready run crew all of us just froze and look looked at each other and we're like why didn't we think of this because we have lost more meat that way <laughs> so yeah it's really really good idea to, to turn your fridge off if you have a especially loud pc rig in the room turn that off too and worst case scenario record some room tone just like record 10 15 20 seconds of everyone shutting up and not moving at all and just record the ambient silence in the room because the silence is not silent but if you have to cut something out in the edit and replace it with actual silence, it's oh. jarring. Mm-hmm. Like true lack of sound does not sound like a quiet room. It will pull you out. And that's kind of what you were talking about with all the sound stuff yeah. is that when you have problems with your sound, it completely breaks the spell and people watching it will notice there's something off. And they will forgive a lot to do with video. But uh, weirdness with sound is hard to win that back after that's happened. Yeah. Moving from sound, though. Hopefully you've got a tripod at this point. I would recommend a tripod, yeah. I mean, handheld has its uses, Mm -hmm. but a tripod is also very good. Well, that comes down to the whole idea of the zoom. The minute you start zooming in on something with a handheld camera, you're going to get a lot of shake. Yep. Well, and it's it's one of those things that you can get better at it as you go along. But you probably, as you're starting, you want to do as much as possible on a tripod it just it's hard to get that technique down and it's well i guess that's kind of the opposite of what i just said because you need to practice it lots in order to get it good at it Mm, to do handheld well but be expecting that that your first few attempts are going to be really rough you're you're not going to have a fifteen thousand dollar rig that will stabilize your shots 
I think the next step, actually, once you've got your sound locked down, is lighting. And not necessarily a rig of lighting, but just even just paying attention to lighting. Yeah, that's a really excellent point, actually, because you don't need to have super crazy expensive lighting or even necessarily any lighting as long as just you're watching for it. The number one thing is just make sure that whatever you're shooting at isn't backlit. Mm -hmm. Do not shoot against a window. In fact, be like, (laughs) oh, wait a minute. If you're standing between me and the window, you're practically a silhouette and outside is really bright. But if we shoot facing the other direction and I'm between you and the window then the light from the window is lighting you like the sun does. <laughs> as it's meant to do. As it, Yeah, as is its want. And you, suddenly you're really well lit. And just little things like that. If it's not super important that you're shooting in a given direction, just adjust where you're going to be and where your actors are standing to get better light, just to get more light on the subject, mm-hmm. to not have their face in shadow or have them be in silhouette or have the backgrounds blown out. If, you, if you're shooting outdoors... Try and find some shade so you don't get really harsh Yeah, direct sunlight. light can be really a problem where it'll wash out everything with really dark and light areas. Days that are overcast are basically the, the mm-hmm. best days uh, to shoot. Um, yeah, when I was first shooting, I just assumed that the sunnier the day, the better might be more light and it would have more color and it would be great. And then you look at your footage afterwards, you're like, this looks like garbage. It's weird, but overcast days are your friend. And that, that extends to photography as well. Yeah. Overcast days are way better for photography. And then, of course, there is the golden hour, oh, yes. mm. which is the uh, it's the length of time varies, you know, but it's generally about an hour. And it's when the sun has dipped below the horizon or at least is dipped behind a building near you, but it hasn't fully set. And so everything is lit. Everything is lit evenly, but there's no shadows. No direct lighting. So it's yeah, yeah. It's, I, like, it's, I, it's like an overcast day, but with a more golden color. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Hitchcock shot an entire movie in the golden oh, hour. Oh, good lord. I believe so he did. He got like an hour and a half of actual shooting every day. Actually, mm-hmm. there are iPhone apps out there that will tell you what the golden hour is in really? your city. I need to look that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Beep, boop, boop. Another quick piece of kit that you can uh, put in your bag is a couple of decent reflectors. Yeah. For the secret cheap technique, go to a hardware store or whatever and get a windshield reflectors or the thing you put in your car yes. on a hot day, you unfold it and put it, some people do anyway, behind the windshield of their car to like prevent your protect dash their from, little leather seats or mm-hmm. protect, protect your dashboard from cracking. I or guess whatever. it also prevents your car from warming up too much in the summer. You can get some of those that are just a picture or whatever, but you can get some that have this sort of, there's a texture to it. It looks kind of like ripply tin foil. Yeah, it's like a foil. Yeah, and that material is fundamentally identical to what <laughs> actually gets used on real reflectors or bounces mm-hmm. as they're called in actual movies and photography, except they're like 20 bucks. Yep. Right? You can get it for like 20 bucks at like the auto store. I got one at Canadian Tire. It looks like like, like tin foil uh, or like the inside of one of those uh, portable stuffy coolers. Yeah, but it's this foil. It's this just rippled. Yeah, it just folds up into this uh, this square. Yeah, and it's really, really useful for, again, if you're shooting outside and you are shooting uh, on a sunny day, the, the sun will be coming at your actor from one side, and then you have someone hold that off camera and aim it to re- reflect the light at the other side of their face to reduce the shadow. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those weird things that you'll be doing it and you'll hold it there and you'll be like, I don't think it's making that much of a difference. And then you, then you take it away 
and you realize how much of a difference it's actually making. And it's even more so on the camera. When we're shooting and we're in a room and we have all the lights on, it seems perfectly normal. And then when we stop yeah. rolling and we turn the lights off, the room is plunged into inky blackness. <laughs> You're like, as, how as can we, we live realize, with this normally? Yeah, as we realize how poorly lit the room is on a regular basis. Your eyes are very good at adapting to, to terrible lighting conditions. Cameras <laughs> yeah. are not... Exactly. That goes back to our early point about sound. Your ears are really good at cutting those things out that it notices, but you record those things and play them back in a location where the ears are already trying to cut out a whole bunch of sounds in those spaces. They're going to notice every single one of those problems. Yeah. So like over the years, we've taken like the standing halogen lamps, the ones that are just like the black pole with a shop with a dish on the top. You know, we've used those and just bounced them off of a white ceiling or uh, just take the shade off of a lamp that's out of shot just to get more light in the room. Mm. Um, for years, we were using um, just some shop lamps that we bought at Canadian Tire. They were like 500-watt halogens, oh. but they were 20 bucks each. They were also orange, so we needed to do some color correction after the fact, oh, but uh, you know, we did what we could. Uh, if you have a little bit more money, what, what we use right now is these amazing uh, cool flow of fluorescent lights. The place we get them is uh, tubetape.com, and they make stuff for green screen shooting but they're these great giant fluorescent bulbs like the biggest fluorescent bulbs you've ever seen like the size of particularly large pineapple and uh (laughs) they're very cool they don't run hot like our halogens did where we've actually melted things on them so they're they're very cool because they're fluorescents they're a daylight color temperature but they produce a 300 watt equivalent off of only an 80 watt draw of power which is really really nice and you can get a set of you get a set of three with, which comes with stands and soft boxes in a bag for like two or three hundred dollars and uh, worth it. I think we have like three sets now. You bring up another really important point and really easy point there, Graham. Someone can do to improve the look of their video. Set your white balance if you're not already. My God, I yes. know that, that sounds like something that we all know about, but no, the difference between tungsten light, which is like a normal regular light bulb. Or fluorescent lights, like the fluorescent tube lights in office ceilings, or shooting outside, is very, very different. And once again, the the human body is really good at adjusting to this, and cameras are not. And the color temperature of those things is very, very different. And what what I mean by the color temperature is the the temperature of the color. The <laughs> the color looks different with no adjustment. Anything shot with tungsten or halogen light will look orange. Anything shot with fluorescent light will look blue and anything shot outside should look normal unless you have it set to a tungsten setting in which case it'll look blue (laughs) you know or unless you have it set to a fluorescent setting in which case it looks a little pink and uh it's just really important if your camera has like presets for daylight for tungsten for fluorescent use those if your camera has a way to auto set the white balance what we always do is just find something white like a piece of paper like the back of the script mm-hmm. and just use that as you zoom in on it so it fills up the whole screen of the camera and say and you push the button the auto balance you say this is white in this situation and adjust and it, everything else based on the fact that this is white yeah and and then the camera goes oh and then everything will look it's basically look a cali- like a calibration mm-hmm. yeah so definitely pay attention to white balance because otherwise you'll be like, why does everything look so orange in this scene? <laughs> and then you spend tons and tons of time again trying to color correct for that. Yeah. And probably failing. Yeah, color correction's annoying. The best way to make your videos look just that little bit better, you don't necessarily need a script, but take <laughs> a little time to plan your shots. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Even if you're doing something that's not scripted, 
if you have the time, just take a couple minutes and be like, what's going to happen here? You know, what are we shooting? Just to avoid things like there's a shot that has to be from a certain angle, but you've done the shot previously from an almost identical angle. So when you edit, it cuts from one shot to an almost identical shot, which always looks bad and awkward. You know, just like really simple things. Just just plan out the next couple things that you want to shoot. Even if you're shooting your kid playing soccer on the field and they're about to do the kickoff and you're zoomed right into your kid and where'd he go? <laughs> and you spend the next three to 12 seconds searching in full, in full zoom. Where is Flailing this thing? wildly. Yeah. Some people, when they do any kind of pre-production before they're filming. Some people write out detailed scripts. Some people do like point form notes. Some people do like a storyboard with even just stick men of saying, okay, I have this many people in the conversation and they're Improv. facing this kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of blocking everything out first and just having the actors all just kind of do a quick run through rehearsal first and just know where everything is it's like, Oh, that's not going to work because this person's going to be out of shot for this. In certain aspects, you'll need less planning as you go along, as you become more comfortable and familiar with it. But at the beginning, you definitely want to spend as much time possible coming up with a, an idea of how you want it to look beforehand. If you're doing this kind of thing, you're probably getting a lot of people to help you out, and they're not getting paid anything. The more professional and quickly you can get things done and move on to the next thing, the more respectful it is of the people's time who are giving their time up to you to help you out, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't pay them, maybe get them some lunch. Feed them. <laughs> Feed <laughs> Honestly, people are going to be a lot more forgiving of you taking a little bit extra time if they get like a sandwich. I like that as a final point. (laughs) Yeah. That if you can't pay people, feed them. (laughs) And that is the best way to have good video production (laughs) is is feed the people that help you. It sounds like a joke, but it's not bad advice. (laughs) That's why Russia failed. (laughs) And on that bombshell, we have been the most powerful men in Canada. My name is Ian Horner. My name is Johnny Blakeborough. My name is Graham Stark. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. The most powerful men in Canada would love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at toptech.tiltyhouse.com if you have any comments or if there are any subjects you'd like us to cover in a future show.